So what were you, what were you, you said something about Dostoevsky here. Uh, I was just saying, so we always flirt with the idea of Russians as, as a <laughs> direction. I know that they've influenced everyone at various mm-hmm. times. Um, I think they're they're all different, but um, you like you can think of them as kind of a block a little bit. Yeah. So like that's really fascinating from like a his- historical standpoint. It's like, you know, what? <laughs> why was there this strangely interesting axial Russian literature moment? Yeah, um, yeah. Like I was saying, the uh, the beats that whole generation. I guess um, also um, also Gaddis, if we want to include him into that, and probably uh, probably. Uh, dick as well you know they're all influenced by the russians at the time um so that's not true i have read notes from the underground yeah i was just looking that up right now i wanted to see if there was a link to book of job with that one um that one i haven't read all the way through even though it's a short one um i started to read it once years and years ago and then i don't know something happened i didn't get through it um, but that's one I wanted to return to. That was that was a huge one in the uh, 1960s, apparently. Maybe that's why. So there was a Jungian writer who used it as a way to explain something that I read 10 years ago. Um, who's So who's the one who did... Uh, the train one with the lady. What's that one called? Uh, um, that's Tolstoy, yeah, and a Karenina. Yeah, that's what yeah. that is. Yeah, somebody. I'm just reading this. The somebody's describing uh, the notes, notes from underground or a limbo without hope of, without hope even of hell. A book of Job without a happy ending. <laughs> Um, somebody was saying, like, some of the last things Tolstoy wrote were just, like, there's no, the same kind of thing, where it's like, there's very little redemption. Something about following around a prostitute or something, just miserable. <laughs> yeah. Like, trying yeah. to make up for his, Tolstoy himself, making up for his unconsciousness to class. Yeah, Tolstoy is an interesting one too. I've got uh, a book of his, um, "The Kingdom of God Is With Within You," and that's sort of his take on Christianity. It's kind of this. Well, that's biblical as well, like that that verse, right? I think it's in John or whatever. But it's it's like, a, um, it's his idea of of internalizing Christianity, uh, which is. I don't know if he talks about Job in here or not. Um, I was thinking the book is called Resurrection. Oh yeah, I, yeah, I've seen, I've seen that. I haven't read it. Yeah, but I think it's kind of bleak, is what I'm getting at. But so uh, I think didn't Dostoevsky's The Brothers Karamazov influence? Um, uh, infinite jest a ton too mm, yeah yeah and then there's a there's a connection between that and the uh, recognitions oh interesting yeah 43 hours it's it's a it's a long one <laughs> yeah yeah well, no that's that's a huge one hmm. yeah i read that first when i was co- in costa rica just kind of munging out reading a lot of it on a hammock. <laughs> it's a weird, <laughs> weird place to read Russian literature. Um, but yeah, no, even if you had a chance to read the Grand Inquis- Inquisitor, just that section, um, which is not, it's not related really. I mean, it's totally related to the story, but it, you, you can take it alone and read it as just its own text. And that uh, that's pretty short. You know, you can, and then, and then you can think about that in it, in its connection to Job. 
Well, so now, like, what always happens is that I feel like, okay, so I want to, I need to go back and, and do Job again. But I think this time I don't want to, I don't want to King James it anymore. Yeah, this version is really nice if you if you get the uh, new revised standard version. It's a, it's a good one. So it's funny because I was looking, I know that I was interested in Bibles many years ago and I think that's that's the one that I had in my I mean I don't I don't buy tons of stuff on Amazon but it's a good place to just look at things and mm. then you you put it in your in your cart never to buy so yeah, you yeah go yeah. back in time and see what was I thinking about there and, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah so uh New revised standard version with Apocrypha. Yeah, I didn't get the one with the Apocrypha, which I wish I, I had. Like this one just came from a, a used bookstore, so I didn't have a choice really. But uh, Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's very nice and clear. And then it's got all the cross references. Like if you want to go crazy and check with all, like, like Job, for example, comes in um, earlier. He comes into the Bible uh when um let me see uh i thought it said right here there's another book of the bible yeah ezekiel it's in ezekiel right he talks about uh saintly job um in ezekiel and this is a big thing is is when when uh when exactly the book of job was written yeah and it's it's it kind of hinges on the interpretation like i think young is is thinking in the same way that most scholars are thinking that uh it's kind of a uh, a late it was it was written relatively late like at the time of the exile like the babylonian exile right so it's like sixth century or something um but then if you read uh if you read madame blavatsky i don't know like what her scholarship is on this but she's saying that in the book of job god is not called jehovah um, he's called jehovah once and she thinks that there was something that was written in later but because um he wasn't called jehovah she thinks and i guess she's getting it from somewhere else that that uh this is a much older text like it it it's uh it's one of the oldest texts um, and it kind of makes sense. It, it's kind of, it's a strange text because it's, like I said before, it's like, it doesn't take place in Israel. It has nothing to do with, uh, like Job doesn't line up with any of the big biblical family trees. Like normally all, almost all of the big biblical characters, you can fit somewhere into the, uh, into this massive family tree, right? Um, but Job, Job, you can't do that. You can't, you can't find his lineage. You can't trace him back to Noah. Um, so it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's kind of mysterious. And then this, this land of ooze, people don't know exactly where that is. So if it's a, uh, if it's a much, much older text and maybe like Blavatsky is right that it comes, it, it's like an older initiate, initiatory text, maybe stemming back from Egypt. So what do you, uh, we could get back to, uh, we could, we could do a, a Dostoevsky if you want. Uh, well, so I, I was going to just, so back to the initial idea, um, like for a while I was really trying to try and find things that would induce people say to join us, you know, like shorter things, easier things, or more accessible things, things with movies, you know, like. A lot of these are not necessarily difficult. Like you, you know, Job is not that big of a commitment. Hamlet no. is, wasn't a very big commitment. And like the nice things about both those is you know you, even though it's relatively short or easy, you know, like you can you can watch Hamlet in an evening. Um, you could spend a whole lifetime studying it if you wanted it. 
yeah, you could in a, in a week you could watch several versions of Hamlet, like I did. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, you could, in so many different movies, you could know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm I'm I this time if you wanted to if you wanted to pick a book for the fall, I would I was gonna say you just pick whatever you like and it'll be exciting for me. Like that was right, my, yeah. that would was one thought, but um, so it could go. It really could go anywhere, and I'd be pretty okay with that. My own personal reading is kind of um, I don't know where where I'm at these days. Where so I usually always have a little bit of a a pop sensibility where I want to kind of see where the culture's at and read some of the the books that people are like buzzing about. You know, like not all of them, but just to see where, you know, the taste is. Yeah, one of my friends is raving about the new Frenzen novel that came out. Oh, really? <laughs> Crossroads, is it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, have you heard anything about that? Like, Yeah, I think that I, I'd be game to give it a shot. I know it's big and it's like part one of a three-part trilogy. Yeah. And he, he definitely thinks kind of well, in he, a Russian mindset, like a big, um, like big people books, you know, like. Um, well, he was thinking, um, my friend was thinking that it was only like 300 pages long. And then he, he went back and checked it out. It was actually like 580 pages. But for him, that just showed how quickly he could go through it like you said it's a, a nice easy fast read um and he also said that it doesn't read as if like it doesn't stop with a cliffhanger so that you you have to read the second and third volume or whatever i don't even know if that's uh that's sure or not that he's going to do that but uh huh um but yeah, aside from that, I, I, he didn't really tell me much about it. So I'm not really sure what it's about. Uh, I, I mean, his his books are they tend to be about the Midwest, and they tend to have like religious ish themes. Yeah, Crossroads sounds religious right from the beginning. Eh? It's December twenty third, nineteen seventy one, and heavy weather is forecast for Chicago. Russ Hildebrandt, the associate pastor of a liberal suburban church, is on the brink of breaking free of a marriage he finds joyless. Unless his wife, Marion, who has her own secret life, beats him to it. Their eldest child, Clem, is coming home from college on fire with moral absolutism. Having taken an action with that will shatter his father... Clem's sister, Becky, long the social queen of her high school class, is sharply veered into the counterculture, while their brilliant younger brother, Perry, who's been selling drugs to 7th graders, has resolved to be a better person. Each of the Hildebrandt seeks a freedom that each of the others threatens to complicate. He seems to always kind of zero in on, like, a, a family, and he really, <laughs> you really get a... Did you ever do the corrections? No, my friend said that's his most famous one, but uh, no, I haven't read it. Yeah, every once in a while I have suggested that to the book club just because, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed the corrections. And then the other ones, I don't think I did one of the newer big ones, but I did one of them and then said maybe i'm done with france and <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I always like my friend is always reading um the the hit like the the most current thing um, yeah and i always i i always sort of question that approach right because i would rather spend my time reading the classics because i know that they're good you know, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if these other books are going to last. You know, like, it, and so maybe I should spend my time in a, in a better way. Some of them have to because they're going to typify something, right? But you don't know what's the background noise and what is like the the essence. I mean, yeah, they might typify something, but are they going to influence literature? You know, like that's what makes it a classic. Is if it how how influential it ends up being you know and then uh 
and then that's what keeps it alive too right as a as a text is because so many people go back to it so many other subsequent authors go back to it and then and then reinterpret it and then it becomes alive again you know like a, um, so i don't I, I don't know like 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 something like infinite jest i think that will happen you know it, or it is happening um but it's hard to say with uh yeah just a book like that that just comes out you know how influential is it going to be is it um, well like we have so like okay so like i'm just looking at my own little wish list and so like there's a i don't know how to say his name but um mohsen hamid he i think he's english but he maybe is um he's he's to england from someplace else and so he's writing this different perspective like this um outsider inside kind of books and so i wonder like he's very popular uh and he's had a number of very big books you know the kind that obama says oh this is one of my best books mm, um, that's a <laughs> that's a warning sign right away <laughs> uh yeah i don't know what it's gonna say i don't know um but I, I still put it in my thing and said, you know, it's like those are the kind of books that I'll I'll check out from the library and I won't necessarily finish. Like, I don't feel guilty if I don't finish. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm going to give it a taste. But that the newest one's really short. So um, there's everyone's talking about this guy, Hernan Diaz. Oh, you know who we should read? That's the guy that I wanted. There's this Russian guy that's just getting translated all over the place. And they really think that he's the, he's the thing. There were two books that I, I read about on the internet. Now I'm going to have to find them just because it's like, what in the holy heck? Um, <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> I think his name is Alex, Alexander. Sorokin's? Oh, I'm not going to be able to do it. Nope, I can't do it. All right, I'm going to have to go a different direction to find it. Um, <clears throat> There's a Vladimir Sorokin. That's, so, that's who I'm talking about. Okay. Have you ever heard or read him? No. Because it seems like the really smart people, like in terms of like we're talking about pop stuff, um, and you've got you know more you know like uh, very mass appeal, and then you're like more elitist magazines. Uh huh. It seems like he's somebody that I've been seeing you know in the in the elite fringe that really thinks that he's something and so there's been lots of translated stuff coming out by him hmm. but then there was this other book that i saw i was hoping they were going to do an english translation but it was it was in german it's called like schattenfro or something and um i wonder if it's still in my bucket here oh it's funny uh you were talking about the anatomy of melancholy for one of our things oh yeah <laughs> that's, a, that's a huge one it's know. so giant <laughs> but uh one of i think it's um like that's one of mason's main characteristics is that he's melancholic all the time oh well, okay yeah, and so it's like so oh, he's, a, he's kind of a, a Hamlet character. Yeah. Where did you go? I've gone probably too far back now. But yeah. Anyway, there was this this. Um, it's a giant German, and the the critic was saying like, "What would it be like to be you know there when Joyce?" published ulysses you know mm. like to be present for one of those those moments right and so he was it, saying here it is this is the book this is the book that you need to be um present for and what book was that 
It's called Schattenfro. Huh. But I'm not I'm not having any luck finding it to be able to to help you uh, to describe it. Schatten is it Schattenfrau? No, I think. F- um, I'm gonna find it. All right. Is it? I thought I, I thought I had it. Because it's not in English yet, and so there was this book club online that was gonna do it. And they said, here's, here's, you know, how to practice your German to be able to read this book. And it's not that hard and you should really try. And it's like, oh, I'm going to really try. (laughs) Um, But then when it came time, when July came around, I was like not in any mood to, to think about it. But I don't know why it disappeared. Like, I can't find it. But it it was, um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, the German. Go ahead. It's just a German author, a new a new German author. Yes, yes. So it's it's a new book. It's not. All right, I I will go to Twitter and see if I can find it where I originally found it. I can't ever put things in my mind. I have to just remember (laughs) how I found them and then hope that if I get back to where I was, I'll be able to (laughs) rediscover things. Yeah, that's your memory house. (laughs) My memory house. Have you have you read uh, the Dawn of Everything yet? Uh, the, the Graber, the new Graber book. I don't. Oh, new! It, yeah, yeah, I've got it here on my shelf. I haven't read it yet. Yeah, that. Um, I don't know if that's like a book club book necessarily. I think it informs, like all, all the book club conversations. It's all yeah. It's it's nonfiction, but. Uh, um, it seemed like SJ was would be into discussing that one. Yeah, I think it's it's a lot too, but it would be. Um, yeah, I've heard also that it's it's a big book, but it, I've heard also that that goes pretty quickly because it's so interesting. Mumbo Jumbo is a book that I always think that I should read. Yeah, that's a <laughs> that's a great book too, um, and it's short. If you're into that. Um, yeah, for the fall, I've got yeah my original plan for this year, and probably it's gonna probably go beyond this year. But I was gonna read like I read the Bible, but I want I've I've got these all this Gnostic stuff to read, and then I want Ooh. to read uh, and then I want to read um, uh, Augustine, Saint Augustine, City of God, which is a massive book. Then I want to read about uh, uh, Kabbalah. Um, I've got a couple of uh, Sholem books that I want to read and some other stuff, some other theology. So I wanted to finish that by the end of the year, but I don't know if I can. All right. It's called Schatten Fro by Michael Lentz. Michael Lentz. What was it like to be there in 1851 when Moby Dick was published? Or 1913 when Swan's Way came out? Or 1922, when Ulysses crashed into our culture like a meteor that changed it forever. Or in 1955, when the recognitions would not recognized for the masterpiece it was. Or in 1959, when the tin drum inaugurated the birth of the new German literature. 
complex, linguistically overwhelming, and irreverent? Now I know because I was there in 2018 when Michael Lentz's Schattenfro saw the light. How, how do you spell his name? L-E-N-T-Z. Lentz. Okay. Michael. Yep. Some critics were upset that this novel had not been nominated for any literary prizes. To which I can say, are you even serious? Prizes imply competition. But what can we, what competition can we talk about when dealing with perhaps the greatest German language novel of the 21st century up to now? <laughs> so this person, this blog, they loved it so much and it, it like hit all the different buttons and it's like, oh yeah, I'm so curious. <laughs> how, do, how, how do you how do you spell the oh shut up okay here it comes up uh untranslated but i don't I, I think it's it's only in german right now oh yeah i've got the same i've got the same page that you, you yeah. just read <laughs> the untranslated and so uh, there was a book club that was going to do it um in german in july they were going to spend july reading it and i thought oh it'd be kind of fun to play along yeah well he he mentioned uh swan's way uh, that's one thing we could get through all the the uh six books of proust <laughs> yeah but so um if you if if there was something that you were it played nice with what you're trying to do that um would be fun for you i would be i would be game for that um yeah i would want something that i already have you know like uh, yeah. on my shelf already yeah. um uh like i don't have the trial i have the castle by kafka it's kind of i tried one. to read the castle somehow it was like really sinking hard this idea of the castle and so i was i was trying to do that but i never really got into it but i would be willing to try again if if you it was that was the what you were interested in that was one yeah i'm not sure uh if I've actually got a whole list of things. Um, do you have Faust? That's one that pops up. Oh yeah, yeah. I we talked about that. But yeah, I do. I do have Faust. I've read that before, but I'd like to read it again. Do you have? I've only read part one. I've never done part two. I know part two is a little more dense and not, and maybe it's more dry. Oh, no, I liked part two a lot. I liked it even better than the uh, first part because it, it gets weirder. Yeah. Oh. But I uh, think Faust is a similar journey as what Job undergoes, where you have these these forces that seem like they're external, but, you know, maybe they're... It's internal initiation that's happening. Yeah, and uh, the interesting thing about Faust, too, that connects of course, to the recognitions. I think that's when we started talking about it. Um, but Faust, Faust himself is Simon Magist, right? Which connects up to Jung and uh, connects up to a lot of different things. We talk about Gnosticism. Um, so it would be one. It would, it would match up pretty well. Yeah, I like the, I, me too. I like the idea of trying to, trying to find a bridging novel or whatever her text but yeah that's probably another one that people won't join us on <laughs> <laughs> well there there is a, a faust movie like that's why i was pushing for it for a while because i think there's a really famous old faust. yeah there's a there's a silent one by uh Murnau, the famous yeah. director Murnau. uh that's a great day yeah that's a great film There's lots of, and so it's interesting when we talk about these things that um, are in a different language too, because then you have to consider, like when we're considering the Russians, there's 
so there's that gal that did a lot of the Russian translations, and then a lot of people say, "Oh, she's not very good." And then so there's these new translations to a lot of the classic Russian books. Are you aware of that? No, I didn't know that. Um... So I think her name is Constant Garnet or Garrett Constant Constance something. And then, then now I'm hearing there's like this. Oh, this other husband and wife that are doing, but then it like if you have a sense of what this book is based on this translation that you already had, and then you're doing it differently, it's like it feels like a slightly different book. Yeah, like I was I was reading the idiot with a with a couple of friends, and they might have had one of the new translations, one of them. Um, but that, yeah, that was interesting. I was reading that at the same time as. Uh, recognitions and then it was so such a mind blower that the idiot actually appears at recognitions um, but yeah after i read that book i was thinking of going back to dostoevsky too and reading uh notes from underground that we talked about if you wanted to do that one again yeah maybe like no, that's well, pretty so it would be interesting because um yeah yeah, I mean, I part of my original little sync journey. That was one of the. Yeah, I'd do that one. Notes from the yeah. underground. Like and that's nice and nice and short. It's only, hundred pages maybe. Yeah, we might be able to suck somebody into that one. <laughs> well, if Patrick is a, a Jungian, we'll be able to get him on this one. On notes, notes from underground. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Does Jung directly talk about this? He, he must well, somewhere. Yeah. I don't know if Jung does, but some of his acolytes do. Yeah, it's only four hours. That's it's a short little guy, huh? Yeah. Dennis. Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> it was so amazing when we had we had a little conversation going recently. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I I chatted with him a little while back too. He's yeah. been really busy. So. Yeah, I know. I I know and. So like, if this is work, like for me, this is kind of like my fun hobby. Yeah. And so like, that's why it makes sense. But like, if this is more like a, an extra class that you're taking and not your fun <laughs> hobby, you're right. It's like, oh, I'm in this book club. Oh my God. <laughs> I, yeah, maybe it became too, uh, like we made it into hard work or something. Or people feel pressure it's like well you guys are reading all these other books it's like well yeah that's just kind of fun you know yeah maybe as i was thinking of that like i go off and read like tons of different stuff on top of it um as context but maybe maybe that could intimidate people what is this the is it uh elliot where you know you need to be you need to be strictly textualists like we can't uh, <laughs> We have to just read the text. We can't we can't have anything outside of the text. It's got to all be there. Yeah, um, yeah. The the new criticism or whatever. I mean, yeah. that that itself, that method kind of get tossed out. But it's kind of as a, as a game rule. That's kind of interesting. You know, if you just take it as a game rule. Okay, we'll do this text. You can't read anything else about it. <laughs> 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 But uh, but I don't know if it works for us because we are all synchronistic. No, I know because it's always you know, like how are they like synchro mysticism is, is, is its own kind of literary or media criticism, right? So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we could try that if 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 everybody agreed. Okay, we only stick to this text, nothing uh -huh. else see what comes up 
but of course other be, things are going to come up <laughs> well it would be hard not to like like the first thing like when i'm thinking about some of the other choices is like looking for a good bio of the the person that did it yes yeah. so you just have just a little bit more background than or even the you know time and place to just get a sense of their life yeah wow I mean, yeah, I think I agree with that. It it, uh, it just opens it, it. It makes it more exciting, you know. If you, if, uh, it's not as if it takes away from the text; it just adds to it. Um, yeah. Like, I, I, I guess maybe if you were um, reading something and you read an interpretation of the text and you only read that one interpretation, and that was sort of your lens that you looked at the text with right That's this is of... about his own wife and his own so like the that the tunnel it's like like there's lots of lenses but if you just decided to interpret it biographically and then you just say oh this isn't this isn't fiction this is just his life yeah and that's a, that's a good choice because that that whole book the tunnel is about looking at history from as many different viewpoints as possible <laughs> you know like that's his his point yeah no it yeah he he created that what are those just those finger traps on purpose yeah yeah that yeah. still is one of the 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 weirdest books that we've looked at i think so timely and so like like it was really good yeah i mean it's like you're saying before about something um uh like a more recent book. I know that's not totally recent, but uh, uh, that kind of like everybody's, there's a buzz about it, but I don't know how much of a buzz still that has, you know, the tunnel, it's still such an obscure book, even after all the anniversary stuff. Yeah. Who knows how these, you know, it's weird how, but to me, that seems pretty significant at some point. Well, what's really fascinating, we're probably about to run out of time, is though how the war, the wars were such a major theme and something that you had to contend with as a human and a writer or an artist. And as we moved farther and farther away from these big moments, so like maybe the pandemic becomes something years from now that people but like even the idea of reading pandemic books does not it doesn't seem like something i want to do because <laughs> we weren't know, doing we weren't doing much in the pandemic it's not like a it, it was, was definitely a disruption of life but sitting around on your computer with no pants on you know. <laughs> i had to go to work damn it oh <laughs> Oh yeah, you did. Yeah, <laughs> the whole time, the whole time, <laughs> it wasn't. There was like a week where things were weird for me. It's like driving through empty, empty town. Like all the parking lots were empty. It's like, but that was it. Then it was just back to normal. So yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that thought was. Um, the things that people write about and how uh, but even like 9-11 fiction which was a thing and still is kind of a thing um, I don't know if it really was really ever that much of a thing you know Pynchon's book is, is the one I know but Oh, there! I I went through a phase like even Delillo did a nine eleven book. Oh yeah, okay. Falling Man. I was reading lots of nine eleven books when I was. Oh, early on, two thousand eleven time. I mean, it could get to the point of uh, 
of war again soon. It's already sort of starting up, you know, it has been going on, but, uh, I think the nature of war changed is what happened. Maybe, or maybe not the nature. It's just, we went into total war, permanent war. I, I don't know. I mean, we probably need to read the Graber book. <laughs> I mean, there's not even any, uh, yeah, there's like, it's different than the cold war period too. Cause you, your cold war period, you had this, uh, this kind of nuclear dread idea, right? And that comes out in that uh, the little book that we read together, right? Yeah. But but now it's like that stuff could still happen. You know, it could be full on nuclear war at any point. But people don't have the same dread about it. I uh, don't even know if they have climate dread yet. Y yeah, like this. I know I do. Like I've, you know, how we were. We were talking about a lot of the 60s writers who feel like they were on the cusp of changing the world and then they blew it. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know that I feel personally guilty, but I definitely feel like there were all these moments to care and we just can't move beyond economics to care enough to change at all. Mm. And so like, I do have this this dread like this was a really hot summer oh really and where you were yeah Just it wasn't in, so much in the states we have we've had a lot of 100 plus days like california i don't think usually gets that hot and they had a lot of really hot days Last summer, yeah. it seemed like the West Coast, like Portland, like Seattle and Portland were having really high temperatures and they have a lot of humidity. And so it was like really, really dangerous. Um, in Boise, we're set up for heat. It's just like something that happens in the summer, but not like like a full month of 100 degrees because like it's just so hot that all you can do is you go from one air conditioned box to another. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like in uh yeah i know in the interior bc and british columbia it got up to like 40 degrees celsius or something and all these fires broke out like that that was oh, not yeah. this year but last that, year I yeah guess, or, yeah and um, a lot of that smoke was in like in in the you know south of there in seattle and oregon and and they're like what do we do we can't live with smoke and it's like well now you can because <laughs> like if you're surrounded by forests like it's just something that happens if you have fire season and then the smoke rolls in and then it cools off and the fires go out and then you don't have smoke but i mean yeah this trip to nagasaki like of course we looked at the uh the atomic bomb museum also um, and it was like a, the whole part of the city was completely leveled, destroyed, um, nothing. And like tens of thousands of people died and then tens of thousands afterwards also succumbed to illnesses and whatever cancers, right. but, uh, but they rebuilt, you know, it's all, it's a new city right now, you know, didn't end up we destroying the whole city because part of it was blocked, uh, by mountains it's kind of like a mountainous valley city um but uh but yeah they reconstructed the whole the whole thing somehow you know is it radioactive no uh, apparently not you know like everybody lives there food grows <laughs> uh, so uh yeah yeah that's what they expected too it would be uninhabitable but uh it all came back pretty quickly uh but the story behind that is just insane you know the the the, the bombing the atomic bombing of hiroshima and then nagasaki it's, it's almost like it's a it's just a uh it was a testing of the technology you know like they they tried a uh uranium bomb in nagasaki uh in hiroshima and then three days later it's a plutonium based bomb in uh nagasaki uh, yeah I don't know, uh, like, I, I I end up having this 
big argument with a with a friend of mine, this older American guy who has his own kind of like a, a cafe near my place. And he just asked me where I was doing the summer. I said I went to Nagasaki. Then we started talking about the atomic bomb and uh, my ideas behind it. And he got really defensive. You know, it was like a, he's kind of like baby boomer aged. And I ended up thinking about that. It's like a lot of baby boomers, especially Americans, have this idea of World War II being a like the good war, you know, um, something that we had to do, like the one exceptional war that, that we had to, because if we didn't, uh, the price to pay was, would have been too high. The Nazis would have taken over everything. Um, so we had to get involved. It was, a, it was a good war. And so because of that, then even the atomic bombing, which was terrible, but it was necessary, you know, it was almost, it, it, almost like a humanitarian gesture because it ended up preventing. <laughs> oh my gosh! Right. Deaths, you know. So, but but because they still have this idea of the good war, there's an idea that there could be other good wars, you know. And so that's always a selling point, you know, like a like a propaganda point. Like the the person that we're fighting against this time, Saddam or Gaddafi or Putin or whatever, is the new Hitler, right? So the new Hitler is the new evil. So a war against him is also good, you know. And so it it, it can be sold in the on those terms, you know. Like I I think even that generation, their opposition to Vietnam, um, was not an anti-war um, argument in 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 the sense that war in itself is an evil, but it. It was Vietnam. The Vietnam War, in particular, was not a good war, like World War II. So we should be against it. You know, like they they weren't able to sell it at that time as being a good war. You know, and, and so that and and then plus the draft, of course, right? So, but uh, but yeah, I don't know. Even there's a draft for World War II as well, right? But uh, um, they weren't able to sell it as being a good war, and so uh, people were opposed to it. Just the fact that there, there is something out there that people consider to be, and they still consider to be the good war. And especially that generation in particular, I think from childhood, they were raised on the idea of it being the good war. Um, They're called the greatest generation. Well, no, I mean the boomers the ones who afterwards. Fought, yeah, yeah, the boomers are the, the, boomers boomers are the, ones are the who are children raised of the greatest yeah. generation. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I think the greatest generation is even more cynical about it than, than the boomers are. You know, like they, they kind of realize war is hell. <laughs> you know, any war is hell. Uh, yeah. But like, like, well, like so generation, generation X hasn't had that same kind of like uh, propaganda behind it. You know, like by the time nine eleven struck, we were already jaded and cynical. Like, and so we were looking for alternative viewpoints of what happened right away you know i was looking on the on the day <laughs> trying to find out what does alex jones think about this <laughs> he had a website at that time you but know, the like war a, that we really experienced in the 90s was the the first gulf war which was like all televised and it was like a more like a movie yeah and it, it was like uh, i remember being opposed to that right from the beginning too you know um and maybe Part of that was because of the opposition to the Vietnam War, you know. Um, but even, yeah, they tried to sell that one as being the good war, Saddam being Hitler, you know, but it, it seemed like nobody nobody really bought it. Yeah. But yeah, anyways, I was, I was pretty, I was kind of surprised how the reaction of my friend about, about Nagasaki... Well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, so it just seems like uh, when you're killing people, it doesn't matter why you're killing people. You're still killing people, and especially to that extent, you know, it's it's got to be one of the most evil acts in history. Like it's it was premeditated too. Like I, I found out from the museum, and then later on I checked. It's like uh, Roosevelt, not even Truman, but Roosevelt was meeting Cruz, uh, Churchill in London. In September of 1944, and already at that time, they agreed together to uh, use the bomb, which hadn't even been fully tested yet, 
against Japan and and to bomb Japanese cities basically until Japan surrendered. You know, so they were already planning it. It was like premeditated evil. So, like, um, there was there was some of that with, uh, like, I think of Vonnegut. Like, he oh talks. yeah, yeah, Vonnegut's good with that. Yeah, yeah, the bombing of Dresden. Yeah, like, there's lots of evil out there, and and so if if you're worried about, like, we're not the bad guys. It's like, well, there's sure there's lots of bad guys, and so if you want to spread that around a little bit, you can, but still. If you're doing evil, it's evil. <laughs> it's evil. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it either, like, yeah. Bomb, the firebombing of Tokyo, it, it killed even more people, actually. Um, that, that happened before. And uh, that didn't cause the surrender of Japan. Like that, that was, That's one of the big arguments, too, is that uh, the atomic bombs caused Japan to surrender. And they did surrender right afterwards, but but it was also the Soviet Union declared war on Japan, which they hadn't done until after the bombing of Hiroshima. And so that was one of the huge factors is that the Japanese didn't want to fight a war in the North and with the Americans at the same time. Hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of a mind blower. And then the weird part, this is the totally weird part. I told you about the hidden Christians of Nagasaki and, and it ends up being Nagasaki at that time was the the most Christian city in uh, in Japan, and it had so this is 1945. Um, it had the biggest cathedral, the Urakami um, Cathedral, was the biggest cathedral in um, East Asia at that time, like a massive cathedral. And the Catholics, after they had been hidden for um, 200 years in the Meiji period, they were able to practice their uh, religion openly and so this this area the urakami which was the site of massive uh christian pers- like anti-christian persecution during the time when uh when it was outlawed in japan it became the center place of this cathedral urakami cathedral and it ended up being ground zero of the atomic bomb strike yeah by accident they say you know it's like they they say they all, the, the Americans were trying to hit this uh, more industrial center the other, in another part of uh, Kyushu called Kokura. And because of bad weather, they went to a secondary target, which was Nagasaki. And then because of the bad weather, they changed the target in Nagasaki so that it was kind of more north in this area that the biggest site there, the most meaningful site where they struck was, uh, was this cathedral. And ended up killing tens of thousands of Japanese Christians. <laughs> and so <laughs> there are all these whacked out um, Catholic conspiracies that say that was the target to begin with. <laughs> you know, and I, I don't know. I can't, I can't really dispute that. You know, like anything you hear about the bombing is, is skewed. So I'm not, I can't rule that out. Hmm. But uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, it'll be the other interesting thing is just the if you're writing about our moment, it's this. This I wonder if it speaks to our psychology too. You know how you have this idea of the shadow that you have to integrate, and how we're so divided. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a job moment, really. Like. Uh especially with these Christians in Nagasaki. It's like we faithful Christians for hundreds of years, even under persecution. And we ended up getting killed by this bomb. Like what, what did we do that was wrong? You know? And so well, I'm, I think I'm just thinking about like, a, like you can stand in line with someone and, and like you can, you're sharing this humanity and then all of a sudden you start talking a little bit and you realize that you exist in two different universes right yeah i was like oh you have a different lens than me we don't even live in the same world (laughs) yeah yeah um 
yeah, this thing of, of Kafka too, like that's part of what he's talking about. You know, it's like uh, he's talking about modern times, like not only a single individual who faces this faceless bureaucracy that oppresses him, but that's that's all of modern society, right? We're all sort of we're all sort of Job in a way. Yeah. Yeah, well, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> if you have to do any larger industrial bureaucratic things, and it's like, oh my gosh, I don't even know if the hospital systems are functioning anymore. You know, it's like yeah. you try and make an appointment. And yeah, it's all straight out of Kafka. Did you, you said you, you ended up getting um, COVID. Did you have to... Uh see a doctor go to the hospital or anything like that anybody I, in your family or i didn't have to but i did because i was so sick i wanted i wanted whatever it seemed like there was a treatment that had become available that was making it less rough going is that is that paxlovid or whatever yeah that's exactly yeah. what it was yeah um and my doctor would she, she wanted she would was willing to give it to me, but she also said that this really effective. You know, you have to take it within a certain amount of time, and I was just beyond that threshold, and so it's like, well, I don't need to be taking some thing um, just for my own sake. You know, like it would be more of a, a mental thing than an actual. You know, it's like if if this is not really that effective after this window of time, then. And I'll just go and tough it out in my backyard some more. Yeah. So, you, did you end up getting sick? Or? Oh yeah, I was really sick. For how so long? It was, it was four good days of feeling really awful. Like the first day, um, it really hit me hard. I had uh, like bad fevers, threw up, like, and like I knew. It's so funny because that night I didn't test positive, but the next it was the next day or later. It's like maybe it was like a full day later. It's like I knew that I had it because I was just so sick. Um, so I was like so sick one night, and then the next day it's like I'm just gonna isolate from all you guys. My wife was having a party, and so I went. Her sister's keeping a camper in our back, so it's like I'm just gonna go live in the camper until we find out for sure what's going on with me. And then I ended up staying a full week out in the camper. And did your wife get it or anybody else? No, they didn't get it from me. So like as soon as I was acting sick, then I went into one of the kids' bedrooms and just kind of shut myself off that night. And then after that, I lived basically in the backyard, which was pretty nice. I mean, it was June, and so it was beautiful. And I'm just out under the trees and, you know, on, <laughs> I would just move a, a couch around like an outdoor couch out of the, out of the sun, just kind of chasing the shade. And I was looking at all kinds of good stuff then, you know, I had magazines and, and books and that was, yeah, that, we, yeah. <laughs> go ahead. We, we all got it at the uh, beginning of August uh, my wife I, and then my daughter and then me um was it then, so like when my kids got it it wasn't so bad you know they felt crummy for three days but i i feel like i i felt crummy for five days and then i had fevers up until you know like day 10 i think oh really yeah <laughs> yeah yeah we uh, it didn't it wasn't bad for us either it was like uh basically two days for all of us like two days of just, even my fever wasn't that high but uh, my wife and my daughter they got kind of high fever and then body pain everywhere yeah and then uh i didn't even have the body pain i just had the fever but then exhaustion afterwards for a long time you know kind of just just this tired feeling what is a long time uh like a couple weeks maybe or yeah something like so that. i bounced back i mean i moved really slow for the first week so i think i was like a full 10 days away from work and then when i went back uh 
I was moving really slow for the first few days, but then I just came back and oh. I didn't ever have the long-term exhaustion or anything like that. So that was good. Like I thought before that I was having these kind of like uh, brain fog issues. So I thought I had had COVID before, which I don't know if probably I didn't. I don't know what it was. Like I just felt like there's a, a wet rag on the top of my brain for since the end of June. You know, I really kind of worried about that a bit. You know? Yeah. Um, but then uh, that's all gone now too. So so there hasn't I, been any anything that's lingered for any of us. I probably have a permanent brain fog. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Yeah, maybe, I wouldn't notice. So, yeah, it's probably you know, so foggy. I don't I don't even notice. But but no, what that was there was a sensation of it. I thought my brain was damaged. The doctor even told me to get an MRI, um, which I did, and there was absolutely nothing wrong. So, hmm. um, so Japan is really easy to get an MRI or whatever. It's pretty pretty good healthcare here mm. but uh yeah it was uh, now that i've had it i, I kind of feel like i i'm not it's almost like the uh the whole idea of the pandemic is over you know like a, um i, feel like I think it's still safe. swirling around and changing and like it's i like think a, a lot of people are still getting it again like getting it uh for a second or third time yeah but people I've talked to, it's it's always like uh, people who have been vaccinated who t seem to be getting it again. So I don't know what that's about. I don't know. Um, in terms of life, life has basically returned back to normal here. I mean, so we had we we've had dips of like, um, oh, it's it's high out there. Be careful. Oh, it's not as high anymore. But it seems like um, there's no rhyme or reason when you're trying to see who's wearing masks or not. Like, for the most part, people don't wear masks anymore. There's no requirements. There's just life has returned to normal. There, there have never been any requirements. I guess maybe inside at some places, but still it's like almost everybody's wearing a mask here. The numbers have been pretty high. I think they've been relatively higher than any, anywhere else. But uh, I don't know when the Japanese will stop wearing masks. <laughs> it makes, makes me go crazy. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, we were high. We are really high for a, a, a second, probably around the time I got it. <laughs> But I had just recently stopped wearing a mask before that for some reason. You know, it's like I was pretty good about just trying to stay masked in public to mitigate some of that because I hadn't gotten it. But um, like even going to concerts and things, right? You know, it's like in the spring we went to a, a music festival and I wore my mask and my wife didn't as well and she got it and i didn't get it mm. yeah and then yeah. uh fall when is i can't keep track of anything anymore <laughs> oh so yeah that was the spring and then but then um then it just felt like everyone was so blasé about everything and so it's like all right i guess i guess i won't wear my mask anymore i guess it's over and and then I got it in June, so. It's hard to say with the mask. Like, it, like here, like I said, everybody wears a mask, and it's still huge numbers. Um, yeah. So uh, I don't know if there's any, what the correlation is. Like, there's a lot of people who are critical about the mask, that they don't really do much at all, you know. Uh, I don't yeah. know. Like, it, I guess if somebody was spitting directly on you, <laughs> make a difference yeah all right well what time is it should we should we close down i think it's is it two o'clock where you're at yep three o'clock two o'clock two o'clock yeah except it's in celsius i, I can't tell time in celsius <laughs> <laughs> it's 1400 hours <laughs>
Yeah, it's it's eleven ten p.m. It's definitely time to go to bed. I have to go to work tomorrow, but this has been fun. I definitely want to do Job again. I was looking at some different translations. Yeah, the uh, like the summary of Job, like all putting all these pieces together. It's like uh, yeah, Job is the precursor of Christ. He is initiation, mystery initiation that stems back to the Egyptian underworld. Um, it matches completely with the, the tarot deck. <laughs> it's almost, it's, everything swirls into Job. It's, it was uh, the perfect sync book. Oh, yeah, with Young, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. We just needed to loop in more more folks. Yes, too bad Patrick couldn't come. He would have been great to talk to you. Yeah. Maybe next time. Oh, we're doing another Jungian or uh, initiation without the redemption. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Okay, yeah, let's let's call it here and. Uh, All right. Yeah. Thanks. You take care. And uh, thanks to Mark out there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. He's a good one. All right. All right. You take He's, care. Okay. You too. Thanks, Doug. See All you. Right. All right. Bye-bye.